Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Wednesday, September 7th. Now our climate story of the week. By now, many of you have heard that California will ban the sale of new gasoline-powered cars and light-duty trucks by the year 2035, should the nation follow suit. And what will this mean in terms of developing an electric car, charging infrastructure, and a hydrogen-powered car, that's another category, infrastructure, between now and then? Let's talk about it with Dan Guerino, reporter covering clean energy and the Midwest for Inside Climate News. Dan, welcome to WNYC. Glad you can join us. Great to be here. So the specific language in the law is that California will move to accelerate to 100% new zero emission vehicle sales by 2035. How does the state define zero emission vehicles and what types of vehicles uh, would uh, qualify? So um, it's funny in that the Zero emission vehicles under California law includes some vehicles with emissions. So it includes all electric vehicles. It includes um, fuel cell vehicles, but it also includes some gas electric hybrids. Basically, a gas electric hybrid needs to meet certain standards for having a battery big enough that most of the miles driven on it are going to be on electric power. Um, And for those that qualify, you could still have a car that runs partially on gasoline that could still be sold in 2035. Is California the only state so far to have done this? No. Um, so California is, um, when you look at the policy, this is a really meaty policy. There's a lot of, in a lot of ways, the 2035 goal is just one one part of a much broader policy. But last year in New York passed a, Um, A much shorter bill that basically said um, we have a 2035 goal, a similar top line goal, but without any of the underlying details. Um, And I expect that New York will um, follow through in the future and kind of backfill some of those details um, to be much more like the California law. Um, So other because there's a difference, if I can stay on New York for a minute. Um, because we have a lot of listeners in New York, and they may be confused by this because the national reporting has generally been, oh, look what California has done. It's only California. New York and other states are deciding whether to follow suit. Is New York's um, um, policy not really a policy? Is, Is it just a goal that New York has to get to zero new gasoline-powered car sales by 2035, but California has a law? I would say comparing um, the two, uh, the New York law and what the California Air Resources Board just did, um, what happened in California is for real. Um, It is, um, it's got interim goals. It's got all kinds of other supporting details. New York has basically said, this is our long-term goal, which is far in the future. Um, New York's bill was, you know, just a few hundred words, not that much detail. Um, so, I mean, in, in writing about this, one of the challenges is 
you, I kind of have to list that New York has done this, but it's it's not super comparable other than this top line detail between the two is the same. But um, the California law has this kind of full weight of all kinds of um, supporting provisions. We don't have that in New York. In New York, um, it merely says that, um, and actually I have the bill right in front of me, mm-hmm. um, that it shall be a goal. So they describe it as a goal um, that you're going to um, have this 2035 ban on the sale of new, um, of gasoline vehicles. And then um, by 2045, there would be this broader ban on heavy duty vehicles that run on gasoline. But um, to even talk about that in the same breath as what California did, I feel like is a little misleading. And I say this looking at energy laws across the country, there are plenty of examples of energy laws where lawmakers pick some far off goal and they say, we're going to do that by 2050, we're going to do X, Y, or Z. And if there aren't interim goals, if there aren't, if there isn't a whole bunch of supporting structure in there, Mm -hmm. that just means every single legislature between now and that date can simply just say, eh, we changed our mind. Um, Or we're going to undermine this goal. So it's, I would say, um, we still need to see a lot more before I would say New York is um, in the same league as California in terms of its ambitions here. Does California have some interim steps along the way between now and 2035 that are hard yes. posts in the way you yes. just referred to? Yeah. And this is one of those things, the kind of if there's a kind of cheat sheet for helping um, just a, a, um, a member of the public to distinguish between a serious law and one that's more aspirational. The presence of interim goals, especially interim goals that are pretty soon, that's a really that's a really big clue that that we're looking at a serious rule. And California's rule says that. Um, so, and I'm just looking at the rule right now. It says that um, zero emission vehicles must be 35 percent of new cars and trucks sold by 2026. That's really soon. 68 um, percent by 2030. And then 100% by 2035. Now that's 68 by 2030. That's going to be tough. I mean, that's a that's a really ambitious goal. 2030 is not that far away. Um, and what that says to me is, considering California's track record for for doing stuff like this, for having rulemaking that is somewhat ambitious in terms of trying to reduce emissions, um, that that indicates to me this is serious. Some listeners who are climate concerned might hear that and think, wait, 2030 isn't until eight years from now. Can we go faster? Why is it so difficult to build out this infrastructure? It's in order to have a trend, an energy transition in the transportation sector, you need to change a whole bunch of things. You need to have if we're talking about a transition mainly to all electric vehicles, you need to have a charging infrastructure. Um, you also need to have um, an infrastructure for producing batteries and the quantities that we're going to need. Um, you're going to need to have automakers and auto retailers adapt to being able to sell these vehicles because especially auto retailers are, are still very much in the mindset that they are they know gasoline vehicles, they're more comfortable selling gasoline vehicles. Um, we have I mean, a transformation on this scale. Um, to do it by, let's just say 2030. 
Um, because I think by 2030, we will have seen a major change. Um, in a lot of ways, the change between 2030 and 2035, um, I, I think that the thing that's going to be really noticeable for all of us is going to happen before that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's this kind of top to bottom thing. When you sit back and think about everything that needs to change, it is 20, 2030 is not a ton of runway. Tia in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. You're on WNYC. Hi, Tia. Hey, Brian, a longtime listener. This is a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm calling from a company that's a Brooklyn startup. We're called It's Electric. It's electric.us. And we're curbside EV charging for the millions of drivers who park their cars on the street. So we're trying to find solutions for drivers to be able to convert to electric by seeing that infrastructure where they live. I'm so glad you brought this up, Tia. Oh, go ahead. The way (laughs) that you do it. Go ahead. The way that we do this is that we install chargers, but instead of those chargers connecting to the main utilities below grade, so those Con Ed utility connections, we instead connect to the uh, spare capacity in an adjacent building. So we basically are pulling energy from a building to power a curbside charger, and then to help incentivize adoption, we revenue share with that building. That is really interesting for many reasons. And one of them, Tia, you know, there was just an article in Crane's New York Business yesterday about how the move toward electric vehicles is exacerbating inequality. That's just what we need in society is another thing to exacerbate inequality, right? But the complaint was by was coming from Uber drivers and Lyft drivers saying Manhattan has all these charging stations now for the well-off people who own their Teslas and things like that. Um, Places in Queens and Brooklyn, where most of the Uber drivers and Lyft drivers live, especially Queens, um, don't have that EV charger infrastructure yet, uh, but they're being required or encouraged to drive electric vehicles, or they just want to. And so it's a source of inequality. are you aware of that as a thing? And it sounds like what you're describing uh, with your with your startup, not that I'm endorsing your business, is um, <clears throat> could be you know one thing that addresses that. Yes, exactly, and not an endorsement, but we are absolutely here for what we call EV equality. EVs overall are better for cities. They reduce not only, obviously, um, they eliminate carbon emissions, but they reduce roadside pollution. And that affects cities, especially dense areas, especially um, communities that have lower income. So by putting that infrastructure in place for allowing people, whether they be fleet drivers or people that just want to convert to EV, to see where they can charge, we're reducing the barriers that exist right now for EV ownership, which, of course, are the cost of EVs, which are going to start to go down starting next year. But the second barrier is where are we going to charge our cars? And that's where we're creating that option. We started this because, you know, we said, is it chicken or egg? Are people going to buy EVs and then figure out where they're going to charge? And mm-hmm. we decided it's all egg. No one's going to buy an EV <laughs> if they can't walk out of their door in Ridgewood, in Crown Heights, in Flatbush and see where they're going to charge their vehicle. There you go. It's all egg. Our quote of the week on our Climate Story of the Week from Tia in Crown Heights. Thank you very much. Dan, what about a national perspective on that? You know, I guess we can assume that gas gas stations popped up everywhere in every kind of neighborhood. 
because they make money. Um, does anybody make money on charging stations? And if not, is it going to depend on the government to put charges everywhere so that there isn't EV inequality? So this issue, the question of kind of where people will charge, when will they charge, and how will this intersect or not with the existing uh, convenience store industry? These are some of the biggest questions about this transportation transition. Um, I think from having written about this a lot, um, that one of the things a lot of people are missing is that a lot of the charging, the, the majority of the charging, maybe the large majority is going to take place at home overnight or uh, for commuters at the workplace during the day. So our idea of this kind of gas station model where you need fuel and you go to a place and you get the fuel, this is not, this doesn't necessarily um, jibe with the way that EV charging is going to work, especially initially, say the next five to seven years, um, partly because it takes a while for an EV to charge. It takes longer than it does to fill a gas tank. Um, you know, we, I expect that charge times will go down um, as battery technology improves, as charging technology improves, and then it might at some future point be more of a gas station-like experience. But, um, but yeah, it's like it's the whole way that we that we do transportation is going to change. And one of them is, you know, you're not going to necessarily go to a gas station anymore, or at least a lot of people. It will be more of something you're doing on trips and things like that. And what about the cost of the cars? If California and other states are going to mandate electric or, or other clean vehicles, um, you know, they're more expensive right now. You can imagine that these costs will come down in the next decade as they get more mass produced. That happens with a lot of consumer goods. But do we know that's going to happen with electric vehicles? And that could be another source of inequality if it doesn't come down. So we are heading toward a point where the cost of a new EV is going to be about the same as the cost of a gasoline vehicle. And one of the biggest questions for researchers is kind of when is that point? Um, it's, it's initially going to happen for small cars, um, and then it's going to move up through the different more expensive segments. Um, it looks like this is we're on track for this to happen kind of in the 2028 range, maybe 2030 range. Um, now that means your purchase price would be about the same. Um, now a separate issue is the cost of ownership, because even if you're paying more for an EV, you're paying less for fuel and you're also paying a lot less for maintenance. So already there are certain EVs, especially like small cars again, um, where your cost of ownership of an EV is less on an annual basis than it is for an equivalent gasoline model. So we're, we're heading toward that point. And what has to happen is battery costs need to be cheaper. And as automakers make more and more EVs, they need to get better at making them more efficiently. And that's what drives costs down. This is what we saw with solar power. Um, we've seen this with EV batteries already, where costs have been driven down like crazy just in the last five to 10 years. Lewis in Queens, you're on WNYC. Hi, Lewis. Hi. Uh, what's your plan B if we still don't have enough cobalt and lithium? And 
I think it's in the uh, Congo to to manufacture enough batteries. The electric grid is still deficient in many places. Even California, they they, they were told recently not to charge your cars because uh, they they're having rolling blackouts and and look what happened in Germany. Who got ahead of that with green technology? They they're paying enormous amounts of money for um, for energy because they went full blown with renewables, windmills, uh, sun, solar panels. They got caught in the middle because they they can't keep up with that. They have to scale back now and they have to go back to fossil fuels. I, when you get too far ahead of market forces. People pay the price for that. Lewis, thank you for your call. Well, some of that probably needs to be fact-checked, Dan. Um, I don't know if you can do it. I don't know the Germany story. Uh, I don't know if you do or if that's accurate. But what about sources? But he, but he's right that you know the other big story and other big story in the news today is possible rolling blackouts in California because of yeah. stresses on the power grid from the incredible heat caused by global warming. Uh, so there's another chicken and the egg question. And I imagine people with electric vehicles during rolling blackouts are going to have a harder time driving than people with gasoline-powered vehicles. So, and I should say I am familiar with, with what's happened in Germany. And the idea of using Germany as an example um, Germany is this Germany as an example when talking about the energy transition is fascinating because people who are both in favor of a rapid energy transition and would like to slow down the energy transition both use Germany's example and just kind of pick out different aspects of it. Mm. So um, but yeah, that's Germany is an, a really interesting um, example to look at when looking at the US because they're just they're just a, a few steps ahead of us. Um, as far as this kind of critical minerals issue, um, you know, you, you know, needing to import large amounts of things like cobalt and um, things that are toxic in their mining and things that um, are expensive and are not plentiful. Um, this is a big issue going forward. But I look at a lot of the reporting I do is talking to people at national labs in the U.S. Um, and there is so much research happening right now to find battery technologies that rely less on those critical minerals uh, and to improve mining techniques um, so that they're less harmful to the surrounding environment. Um, I, I, I don't want to just kind of hand wave and say we're going to figure it out, but the demand for these is going to be such that there is a tremendous incentive for automakers and for researchers to figure it out. Um, and we're going to see, to think that the batteries that are in vehicles seven years from now um, are 10 years from now are going to have, um, I mean, they're just, they're just going to be different. We're going to get a lot better at making these. Um, and I'm based on just what I've seen in the time I've been covering this stuff. Um, I'm, I'm confident that that can happen. Um, at the same time, I don't want to minimize those concerns because it is, I mean, the critical minerals questions are important. And that's one of the reasons there's so much effort being put into kind of finding ways around those challenges. Lewis, thank you for raising those questions. We're almost out of time. Two other things before you go. I don't know if you can do this one real quick, but is there a stat that says 
how much will be saved in terms of greenhouse emissions uh, by this transition in California to all-electric new vehicle sales by 2035? Yes. So I get into some of those statistics from the uh, California agency, and it's actually it's in the piece that I wrote last week. If maybe you can include a link to it in um, it, uh, on, on your website. Um, um, so yes, th- th- that is quantified. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. Um, I should also mention that just banning the sale of new gasoline vehicles, a, a vehicle stays on the road about 18, 20 years on average. So it'll be a while after that before, you know, we'll be seeing gasoline vehicles for a while after that. And and the last thing, just in terms of how far the California law pulls along the rest of the country, um, as I understand it, 17 other states have emissions policies that are tied to California's current standards on emissions Massachusetts, Washington State, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, Mexico, Nevada, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, um, Washington, D.C. as a city. Virginia, though I've read that the state's Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, says he'll try to repeal whatever is on the Virginia books that ties it to California. How does California drive policy in the rest of the country and how binding are those state laws? So it it varies state to state, but um, California has a long history of having emissions rules that are more stringent than federal emissions rules. Uh, and a number of states, the states that you name, have state policies that tie their emissions rules to California's rules. And what California has done is updated its rules. So those other states, um, have a either existing rules that say they're going to imitate California or have a track record of imitating California's rules. Um, and some of those are extremely likely to do so. Uh, Washington state, extremely likely Massachusetts, extremely likely some of the others, it kind of, we just have to see. Um, but it is, it's a ways off. And I expect there to be some substantial political debate at the state level about this, even though, um, it, the the ultimate um, 2035 uh, rules are a long way off. The our our political system really kind of has to digest this, and I don't think we've quite had the debate yet about what a transportation transition looks like. Um, you know, you look at what's happening in Virginia with that debate. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out here. I think we're going to hear a lot about this uh, just in various political uh, races going forward. Debate engaged here on our climate story of the week dan garino reporter covering clean energy in the midwest for inside climate news on california's law to phase out new gasoline-powered car sales by 2035 thanks so much for talking with us about it good to be here Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.